The Old Testament reading for this, the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Genesis, the 15th chapter. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And this is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The epistle reading, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, For the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, 
They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And this is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If, then, you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our readings today have a very clear theme to them, don't they? It's faith. Abram is commended for his faith when God makes an improbable promise, and yet Abram believes. A variety of people are listed in the epistle reading as doing things only by faith, not seeing any tangible proof, not knowing for certain where the road leads, but trusting in God and walking that path. Jesus himself tells us to have faith that God will provide for our needs just as he provides for the birds and the flowers of the field. It's all about faith. In fact, every time we gather together as Christians, we talk about our faith. We thank God for the faith he gave us in baptism and through his word. We confess our faith with the creeds. We're strengthened in our faith by the Lord's Supper. Our hymns and our prayers... They oftentimes ask for a deeper faith. And we pray that we as Christians would live out our faith as showing it to be important to us. And so with faith being that central to our lives, with faith being that important to us, it's something that we all know about, right? Well, see, there's the problem. Faith is kind of a slippery notion to hold on to. We talk about it, we know pretty much what it is, but to actually define it is rather difficult. Is it a feeling of hope? Is it a concept? I mean, how exactly do you define 
faith. Well, thankfully, we don't really have to come up with our own definition because God has given us one already. God, through the writer of the Hebrews, says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But that sounds like a complete contradiction. And honestly, it is. Because faith runs completely contrary to our human nature, to the ways of the world around us. Faith is the opposite of what we think we need in life. Faith is assurance without proof. You know, when I'm watching an action movie, it always bugs me when someone assures someone else that everything's going to be fine. The aliens are attacking, the virus is spreading uncontrollably, or the Decepticons have just killed Optimus Prime. And the hero turns to someone in distress and says, Just trust me. Everything will be okay. We can do this. And as I watch a scene like that, the practical part inside of me is screaming, You don't know that! You can't make that promise. Well, sure, as an actor, he's read the script and he knows how it ends. But in real life, if that were the situation he was in, he would have no way of knowing that everything is going to work out okay, that the good guys are going to win in the end. Faced with a similar situation in real life, with somebody standing there saying, trust me, it'll be okay, there is nothing that would lead me to believe that guy. Our human nature wants proof in all matters. We've become jaded by all the scams and the false claims of the world around us, and so we want proof. I want some real scientific data before I pay $50 for that jug of superfruit juice that just came on the market this week. I want to see actual evidence that your car warranty is going to follow through on all of your promises to be there for everything that breaks. I want to see some proof that this guy who sent me the poorly written email actually is a Nigerian prince who wants to send me money. Now, in many of those cases, it's good to demand proof because it keeps you from being taken advantage of, keeps you from losing a lot. But we've come to the point where we really don't trust anything that we can't quantify, examine, and have some sort of physical proof of. We say we can't believe something unless we can understand it, control it, and be the master of it. The world says things like, if God exists, why doesn't he show himself? even as his word and the whole glory of nature proclaim his existence every second of our life. We say things like, if God loved me, why didn't he keep all these bad things from happening to me? Even as we are blissfully unaware of all of the bad things that could have befallen us, but didn't. We think that God has to prove himself to us, that he has to earn our belief and our faith in order for us to truly believe. He's got to show us some kind of proof before we will make the investment of faith. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is pointing out. It doesn't take proof. It takes faith. In the examples given in our epistle reading, none of them 
had any kind of physical proof. And yet every single one of them firmly believed in God's promises and lived accordingly. Doing things that the world might say are ridiculous without proof and assurance. Abel, unlike his parents, Abel did not walk in paradise face to face with God the way that Adam and Eve did. And yet he believed that God provided everything for him. And believing that, he offered the right sacrifice of the best of his flock. Giving up what he had in hand that was good, that would have provided for him. Trusting in future gifts from God with no absolute assurance that that was going to happen. He lived by faith. Noah. I mean, he was an amazing act of faith. God says to Noah, build a gargantuan boat over the next hundred years because you're going to need it in about a century. One hundred years of building the ark before it started to rain. And Noah did it. He persevered through the ridicule and the torment of his neighbors while all the world was positive that there was no need for a boat like that. Abram. Abram had no proof that any of God's promises would be fulfilled. He left his country because God said, go here and I will give you a better country. They didn't have Google back then. He couldn't write a letter to a friend and say, how is the world over there? He simply went. And then God promises, you will have more offspring than the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed, even though he was almost 100 years old. Abraham believed God's promises. Even as he originally tried to work out his own solution by having a son by his wife's servant. But he had faith in God's promises. He trusted that those promises were true. That his offspring would be more than the stars in the sky. Even though he was almost a hundred and had no children at all at the time. The writer to the Hebrews goes on and on. And he lists so many other people from the Bible who lived by faith, seeing no evidence and yet trusting in God's word. He mentions Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. And then he talks about us. As Christians, we too live by faith. We trust that the Lord will provide for all of our needs, just as he provides for the birds and the lilies. We look forward to eternal life, trusting in God's promises, even though there is no tangible proof of it. We can't talk to someone on the other side and say, did God really come through for you? We simply believe because he has spoken. Now, how can we have such faith? How could all these people listed in our reading have the faith to believe and to do such fantastic things? Well, it's because their faith, our faith, is in God. In fact, the faith that we laud and we praise and commend, the faith that we look to in the lives of these heroes from the Bible, it comes from God, not from within. Abraham wasn't a man of great faith on his own where God looked at him and said, now that's a guy that I want on my team. No. The object 
of the faith is what's important. And the object of the faith is not our own steadfast believing. Our faith is not in our own faith. Because if that were the case, we are in trouble. The faith that we have, it comes from God. It is God-given, and it is faith in the one true and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect, infallible, and almighty. And that's why our faith has power. While God does not give us tangible proof of all things, he does give us assurance. You see, God's not required to give us proof of his existence. He exists as creator and ruler of all things, whether we believe it or not. It's not a popular vote. It's not up to us to say, well, if I believe, then that makes it real. No, he is He owes us nothing, but everything that he gives us, he gives us out of grace. Even his holy word, by which he revealed himself to us, that's a gracious gift. He would be no less God had he remained completely hidden, let us sit in complete ignorance of his existence. But he didn't. By that word, by his gracious presence and action in our lives, While we may not be given tangible, quantifiable proof, we are indeed given the greatest assurance that our faith is well-founded in him. God has fulfilled every single promise that he has made. That's what the Bible is. It's a history of God's promises and how he has kept every one of them. Not once has God spoken a promise and left it unfulfilled. Even when those promises seem impossible to our human rational minds. Abraham at 99 is going to have a son and then have more offspring than there are stars in the sky? Yes, it's going to happen. God is going to protect us from all evil and give to us his eternal kingdom? Yes, it's going to happen. Even though we sinned and pushed God out of our lives, God is going to take on the guilt of our sin and he's going to forgive us and restore us and grant us eternal life. Yes, it's going to happen because God has said it's going to happen. God is faithful to all the promises that he makes. He does not speak and then go, oh, I think I changed my mind on that one. We draw assurance from the past as we look back throughout all of history. God has an absolutely perfect track record of keeping his promises, and he shows no sign of changing that. That's the point that the writer to the Hebrews is making by naming off so many heroes from the Bible. God is worthy of our unwavering faith, even if his promises seem impossible. And the beautiful thing is, we're not just dealing with ancient history here either. God displays his grace and love each and every day to each and every one of us. He continually provides for us better than he provides for the birds and the lilies. He keeps us safe and he gives us what is best. Even if it's not all the riches in the world that our wicked heart desires, even if it's not what we would choose, even if sometimes it's what we think is the worst thing ever, all things 
are good because they come from our loving Heavenly Father. God continues to provide for us even as we sin against Him, even as we disregard His Word, even as we foolishly demand proof of Him. Now certainly these are all things that we should avoid in our lives and they are not pleasing to Him. By faith, we shouldn't live our lives like animals, giving in to every sinful desire that we feel. By faith, we shouldn't fill our, ours or our children's minds with the filth and depravity and foul language and sexuality that this world says are good. By faith, we shouldn't make God just an afterthought, ignore his holy word, and just use the church as a last resort. By faith, we shouldn't hide our faith away and try to blend in with the world so people will like us. And yet, even when we do these awful and sinful things, his hand of grace continues to pour out blessing upon blessing into our lives. He continually calls us by the perfection of his word. He refreshes and renews us with his sacraments, daily washing us in the waters of baptism, feeding us with his true body and blood in the Lord's Supper. When we turn our back on him and his word and his promises, he never turns his back on us, but continues to call out to us, fills us with his Holy Spirit to strengthen us in the one true faith. He gives us every reason to put our faith in his perfect word. And when we do, oh, what riches we receive. Not rewards like a payment for what we've done, God doesn't have a faithful meter up on each of our boards in heaven and says, well, I'm going to give him $20 because he made a little progress in his faith today. And not necessarily earthly rewards or treasures, because so often those things actually become a stumbling block to our faith, and we trust in the earthly riches rather than God. But God gives us gracious, undeserved, eternal treasures and rewards rooted in his sacrificial love shown to us at the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. We are given peace in our lives when we put our faith in God, knowing that he is with us, guiding us, loving us, that he is our Heavenly Father who cares for us when the rest of the world just despises us completely. We are given true forgiveness, even as we continually stumble in our sin. We are given the glorious grace of the gospel that it's not up to us to earn our way to heaven because we will always doubt, we will always fail, but rather we have the assurance that we are forgiven and heaven is ours. He renews us. He washes us clean. He takes away our guilt. Not by giving us a pep talk and telling us to try a little harder next time, but by taking on our flesh by suffering in our place, by dying to pay the price of our sins. He paid the penalty that we had earned. He suffered the torment that should have been ours, not because he had to, not to prove anything, but simply out of love so that we could be with him. And because he's died for us, because he's risen from the grave for us, we are given the ultimate the greatest, the most undeserved gift ever, eternal life. And not just eternal life or a very long life here on this fallen earth where we have sin and pain and trials, but we are given eternal, 
unending life in that perfect, sinless paradise of heaven that he has won for us and that he has prepared for us. And while we have no physical proof of these things, we rejoice. We joyfully receive all of these gifts and more by faith. Faith that he has given to us himself. Faith in God, not in ourselves. Faith that is strengthened and renewed daily by the word and sacraments of our loving Heavenly Father. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It seems to make no sense, and it bothers our human nature, that we aren't given some kind of a glowing God rock, some kind of physical proof that God is near us. But knowing who God is, knowing what he has done throughout history for his children, knowing what he does and continually does for us, we have assurance even without worldly proof. We have faith given to us by God. Faith that he is always with us. Faith that he has given his life to pay for our guilt. Faith to know with full assurance and conviction that even though we have no tangible proof, By the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.